You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you. We are going to do herd mentality today, a full slate of herd mentality questions. But first, a few items that came from Bill's camp yesterday that we have to address. Let's start with some transactions. The Bills activated linebacker Markel Lee from the reserve COVID list and released offensive lineman Steven Gonzalez. So good to see Markel Lee is healthy and ready to get back to practice. And it's also the fourth offensive lineman this week that the Bills have released in Steven Gonzalez. When it comes to the injury report from Thursday, offensive lineman Cody Ford missed practice with an illness that was non-COVID. Safety Jaquan Johnson, he was out with a knee injury. Stefan Diggs with a knee injury. Isaiah Hodgins with a knee injury. Tommy Sweeney with a foot. Forrest Lamp remains out with a calf. Christian Wade remains out with a shoulder and Antonio Williams was out with a stinger. And so Williams and Wade did do work on the side during the Thursday practice, which is good news, but uh, that was the cast of characters that was injured and did not participate in practice on Thursday. Also, as it relates to the Saturday preseason game against the Chicago Bears, 1 p.m. Eastern time, Josh Allen will not play. Mitch Trubisky, he'll get the start against his former team, And head coach Sean McDermott said that most of the other regular starters will not play at all. So no Josh Allen. Most of the starters will not play. Trubisky gets the start. And then on a positive note, running back Zach Moss and left tackle Deion Dawkins are expected to play on Saturday. So good for both of those guys to uh, get some game reps and work themselves back into the lineup. Did you know that Bilt Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. They have coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, cookies and cream, orange, strawberry, and salted caramel. And they just announced a new flavor on Thursday, pistachio. So you can try that one out. And look, maybe you don't know where to start when it comes to Built Bars. You can get a mixed box, and that's where you can get two of each of the nine flavors. Try them all and figure out which ones you like. But look, they're all delicious. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet but they're also very healthy. Check out these macros, 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180, only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs. The flavors are amazing. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. Got a deal for you. Go to builtbar.com. Use our promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. All right, let's get to the herd mentality questions. First one comes from Tyler, who says, I'm going to name out three duos on the Bills roster. The assumption is the players in the duo selected will have all pro-level seasons this year, and I'd like to know which duo you would pick and why. My options are Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams, or Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. So I've changed my answer multiple times in working through this idea. The first one that I'm going to eliminate is the Poyer and Hyde duo. 
And the angle that I want to take in making my selection is if both players achieve all pro status, how much of an increase or an elevation in play would it be? And because I think Poyer and Hyde are already extremely high-level players, it wouldn't represent that much of an increase in play. So I eliminated them right off the bat. And then I thought about Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. Tremaine Edmonds is already a two-time Pro Bowler, and it's generally accepted that Matt Milano is the better Bills linebacker right now. So I'm going with Dawkins and Williams because if Dawkins and Williams were both all pros in 2021, that would be significant. Neither player has ever been a pro bowler, and I think it would be the type of recognition that signals to me a lot of offensive success and an upright Josh Allen, right? So I'm going Dawkins and Williams because if they were both all pros, I think it would represent the largest increase in level of play versus the expectation. The next one today comes from Gordon, who says, obviously Brandon Bean deserves a ton of credit for picking Josh Allen, fixing a bad cap situation, and some of the contracts and players he has signed in free agency to help Josh along. Hypothetically, if Ed Oliver does not take a step forward and A.J. Epinesa struggles, do we start to get concerned about his ability to evaluate defensive line talent in the draft? Rousseau looks better than many thought so far, but it is still really early. Same question about the O-line if Ford does not take a step forward as being traded up to draft him. We will learn much more in the coming season, but in my opinion, with all the draft capital and money in the defensive line, if they don't take a leap, I might be slightly concerned. I think you have some fair points here. Of course, you'd like to see more in terms of the early returns on some of those draft picks, but even Ed Oliver has only played two seasons. A.J. Epinesa was a rookie last year. I don't know that the sample size and volume of draft picks is large enough for us to really come away with a conclusion like Brandon Bean struggles to evaluate defensive line talent. So I see where you're going with this, and obviously over the next three to five years we'll really get this answer, but for now I'm not coming close to pushing that panic button. And the reality is with so many players that the Bills have drafted since 2018, They're very much projects, players with great athleticism and untapped potential and are relatively new to positions and certain roles and functions. So the Bills very much like to have themselves a raw ball of clay to mold into a specific type of player. And so with that in mind, I think we can come to expect there being a bit more of a developmental curve when it comes to the players that the Bills are bringing into the building. Now, that doesn't really apply to the 2017 class, which predates Brandon Bean, which included immediate impact starters and Trey White and Deion Dawkins, and even Matt Milano was a steady contributor early on, and it didn't take long for him to claim a starting role. But since 2018, when you look at these draft picks like Tremaine Edmonds and a Josh Allen and a Cody Ford and an Ed Oliver and an A.J. Epinesa and a Rousseau and a Spencer Brown and these types of players – These are high-ceiling players that have a lot of room to grow into that ceiling. And so I think this is going to be par for the course when it comes to Brandon Bean drafts and the types of players 
he's shown us that he wants to bring into the building. The next one today comes from Donna, who says, Can you explain evolving quarterback penalties on hits? Thought the F.A. Obata hit at the ankles was okay, and then Boogie took down a quarterback, but apparently a penalty if you land on the guy as part of the play. Anywhere near the head is bad. What is legal anymore? Just flag football for quarterbacks? So obviously the NFL is adopting a lot of rules to protect quarterbacks and eliminate hard hits on them and hits that are going to contact them in areas that could lead to injuries like the head area or the knee area. And so I want to pull two clips from the NFL rule book that dig into some of the more contested areas of roughing the passer so that we're all on the same page and can understand what is and what is not roughing the passer. So the two excerpts I want to read, here's the first one. A rushing defender is prohibited from forcibly hitting in the knee area or below on a passer who has one or both feet on the ground, even if the initial contact is above the knee. It is not a foul if the defender is blocked into the passer and has no opportunity to avoid him. So if you hit a quarterback at the knee or lower, it is roughing the passer. Even if that contact starts above the knee, if you slide down and you forcibly make contact with the knee area or below, that is a penalty. The second one that I want to read is, when tackling a passer who is in a defenseless posture, a defensive player must not unnecessarily or violently throw him down or land on top of him with all or most of the defender's weight. Instead, the defensive player must strive to wrap up the passer with the defensive player's arms and not land on the passer with all or most of his body weight. So when you tackle a quarterback, you have to be intentional about not landing on top of them with all or most of your body weight. So just understand that. You can agree, disagree, whatever. Those are fouls in the NFL. So if you hit a quarterback at the knee or below, or if you land on the quarterback when tackling them with all or most of your weight, that is a penalty in the NFL. So there you go. And both of those things that happened last week, as ticky-tack as they may seem, those are roughing the passer penalties by definition. Next one comes from Johnny who says, For the next herd mentality, if you owned the Bills and money was no object, what would you want out of a new stadium? And so my answer here is probably pretty boring uh, because I don't necessarily have a lot of specifics, but this is what I wrote down. Number one, for it to be in the Buffalo Orchard Park, Western New York area, right? Obviously, I want to keep the Bills in Buffalo. Number two, I want it to be an open-air stadium. The more I think about this, it's critical if you are a northern team, a cold-weather team, you want it to be open-air. It's just too much of an advantage when you can make a warm weather team play in the cold, you got to take advantage of it. The next thing I have down is that I don't want there to be a bad seat in the house. I want all the sight lines to be good and for people who love football to be able to watch football with good sight lines. I would say seat warmers for every fan and super cool video boards. I mean, that's pretty much the stuff that I thought of. I mean, Maybe everyone else will be a lot more interesting in the renderings and in the amenities and features. I just want a nice place to go watch a football game. And if there's a seat warmer, 
that's even better. If there's super cool video boards, it's even better. So probably a boring answer there, but I don't really have a whole lot of thought when it comes to other amenities. I know some of these other football stadiums have, you know, beer gardens and outdoor pools and activities and all that kind of stuff. I'm just about football and that it's played in the Buffalo area. The next one today comes from Doug, who says, The Packers GM is on the phone. Aaron Rodgers really wants Jake Kumaro back, and the Packers want to know what a trade would cost. Are you happier keeping Kumaro at this point? What draft compensation would you get interested enough in to ship Kumaro to Green Bay? So I really like the idea of keeping Jake Kumaro as the Bills' seventh receiver or sixth receiver. Special teams, size, obviously he's a good teammate. Josh Allen likes him too. But I'm also aware that he's going to be 30 in February, and his overall impact in the NFL has been pretty modest. So I would try to be reasonable, but I'd also really try to force the issue when it comes to getting something valuable back because, number one, you want to keep him, and number two, you know that the Packers are desperate to get him back. So I'd want to get a fifth-round pick or better. I understand that that's probably unlikely for a player that is about to be 30 and really hasn't done much in the NFL. But if I can get a five, I'd pull the trigger, and I'd think about it for a six. But I'd really want that fifth-round pick. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, both which are open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo where you can make a bet on the Thursday night, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to horse racing. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. The next one today comes from Nathan, who says, I'd love to hear you talk about the strategy of bringing in a backup quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky with a high draft pedigree and physical talent to not compete with Josh Allen for the starting position, but this idea of bringing in a talented backup that can push Josh and play to his competitive nature in the quarterback room. It seems that raising the bar from Matt Barkley to Trubisky is a sneaky way of keeping Allen sharp and getting him to keep elevating his game more than he already would even if his position is not threatened, which is obvious. Iron sharpens iron being the catchphrase most often used, but I think this is an underrated angle of the move as opposed to just getting Josh the best backup possible. I'll be honest, Nathan, until I read this email from you, this is an angle I have not considered. But after reading your email... It's one that makes me kind of interested and it makes me like the idea of bringing in Trubisky even more. And again, not so much that 
Trubisky's going to take the job from Allen, or that's even a possibility. But like you said, a high draft pedigree, physical talent, and just wanting Josh Allen to be that dude. And Josh is very self-motivated and as a self-starter, and I think that regardless of who you bring into the mix, he's going to work extremely hard and want to be the best version of himself. But I do think when you have that type of presence in the room and you know your role, there is going to be that extra emphasis and burden on you to really be sharp and on top of your game. And you could probably relate to this when you think about the job or profession that you have or different activities and hobbies that you might have. When there's other people in your field that are really good at what they do and they're around you, it's going to affect your behaviors and how you think and how you act and how you talk. Or let's say that you're an avid golfer and you're going to play golf with somebody who's really, really good. You're probably going to show up with your best golf attire and be dialed into the round and want to play your best. And so I do think that there's a a real benefit to what Nathan has put together here in this email that I hadn't considered and I think is definitely a good thing when it comes to Josh Allen and where he's at as a football player. The next one today comes from Matt who says, I am concerned that Jerry Hughes will not make the roster this year and I would like your opinion on this. Here are my reasons why he won't make the roster. Jerry is 33 years old and a lot of young talent influx in the past two years. This past offseason, Mario was raved about for his leadership qualities by McDermott and Bean, and nothing was ever said about Jerry's leadership, even though he was a team captain last year. There's a cap savings of around $6 million. His salary is $9.45 million, and dead cap is $3.1. McDermott has never been afraid of getting rid of named players, looking at you, Shady and Sammy. Jerry does not fit the mold of a McDermott typical defensive end and has never been a sack artist in McDermott's system. And then he said Mario has a contract that is not conducive to being cut or traded versus Jerry's contract. And then Matt continues to say, with all that being said, I think the defensive end room will consist of Epinesa, F.A. Obata, Groot, Boogie, Mario, and Bam Johnson for a total of six defensive ends this year. I feel Daryl will make the roster due to special teams' ability and being such a mismatch in that area. So Matt, I heard you. I see your points. I read your points here. I just don't agree. I th- Not that you said anything that wasn't factual. I just feel like Jerry Hughes is going to be part of this football team. And since he's been back from that calf strain, you have heard Sean McDermott talk about his value to the young defensive ends and his value to guys like Spencer Brown for getting opportunities to block that type of pass rusher. So while I don't think that you're logic is bad or that you have a bad idea. I just don't agree. I think Jerry Hughes will be part of this roster and and I hope that he makes a a big time impact this year. So um, again, your your process is good here and I don't take issue or exception with your your thoughts here. I just think that he's going to be part of the team. The next one today comes from Rob who says, in previous years, we have traded some cut candidates prior to the season. Are there any players we could shop and maybe snag a sixth or seventh round pick for someone like a Jake Fromm or Isaiah Hodgins, maybe even a Rashard Wild Goose. So these are the players that I think are trade candidates that are probably going to get cut or could get cut. Uh, Forrest Lamp, Bobby Hart, Jamil Douglas. We've seen 
Brandon Bean flip veteran offensive lineman for draft capital, like Russell Bodine, like Marshall Newhouse. So I think Lamp, Hart, and Douglas are very much in a similar situation. And then defensively, I would say maybe Vernon Butler and maybe Tyrell Adams. Those are the players that I think are most likely cut candidates that the Bills could get a late-round draft pick for. The next one today comes from B Mormon 2020 He says, Hi, Joe. It's been a while, but I've been keeping up on the pod and thought of a fun herd mentality question for you. Andre Reed played 15 seasons and 221 games for the Bills, the longest of any Bill. Which player on the current roster has a chance to break that record? I believe Hughes has the longest stretch at eight seasons, but my money is starting to lean on Tyler Bass. So this is a fun question, and I think the challenging part is figuring out which players are actually going to play 15 seasons, which is extremely rare in the NFL. And so for that reason, I think Tyler Bass is probably the smart money here, but I'll go with a non-specialist here, and I'll give you two players. How about Greg Rousseau? 21 years old. If he plays 15 seasons, that puts him at 36 years old, which isn't that crazy to me to think that he could play that long. The other one is Tremaine Edmonds, who is entering his fourth season, and he's only like 23 years old. And so his youth is a major benefit to the idea of him playing 15 seasons. So unbelievably impressive that Andre Reid played 15 seasons. And um, I guess I'll have to tell Siri to put a reminder in my phone for 15 years from now to see if this actually happens. The next one today comes from Mike, who says, Antonio Williams played at North Carolina with two running backs that just went in the second and fourth round of the 2021 draft. Can you discuss where he was in the rotation against those backs at North Carolina? Since these running backs were drafted relatively high, could Antonio potentially be a very effective running back but was just stuck behind a stacked running back room. Did he miss out on valuable reps in college? Just curious if there's a lot of untapped potential. So what's interesting about Antonio Williams is that he did play at North Carolina, but his college career started at Ohio State. And Ohio State, just like North Carolina, has been loaded with running back talent. So he was at Ohio State in 2016 and 2017. And across those two seasons, wound up having 63 carries for 318 yards and three touchdowns. And so he was very much down the depth chart. But when he got opportunities to carry the football, he did well. I mean, five yards a carry across 63 attempts. He did very well for himself. And so then he transfers to North Carolina for the 2018 and 2019 season. And across those two seasons, he had 139 carries. 826 yards and eight touchdowns. So he averaged almost six yards a carry, 5.9 yards per carry. And so 2019 was that year where he was really in the rotation with both of those top running backs, Michael Carter, who went in the fourth round, and then, of course, Javante Williams, who went in the second round. That was the year where they were all there, and he was the third guy. And 2018 was the year that it was kind of Michael Carter and Antonio Williams, and Javante Williams wasn't much of a factor. So, I mean, only 202 career rushing attempts entering the NFL. He's got plenty of tread on the tires left. And every time he touched a football at the college level, he did well for himself, but he was just buried on the depth chart 
at two different universities. And so, yeah, there's a possibility that there's a diamond in the rough here and a guy that just hasn't had enough opportunity to really show everything that he can do and there's untapped potential. So, yeah, I think that's pretty fair to consider that as a possibility. And obviously, I think we've all been pretty pleased with the Antonio Williams that we've seen in limited touches so far in the NFL, whether that's been preseason or, of course, the Week 17 game against Miami where he really ran aggressively and spirited for sure. So um, I'm anxious to see more Antonio Williams. The next one today comes from CG who says, we don't talk enough about the slot cornerback position when it comes to starters for the Bills defense. We hear about CB2 and defensive tackle depth, but our slot cornerback is basically a starter. While I love what Teron Johnson brings in run support, and yes, he's earned cash with Bills fans for two monumental plays last season, but if we're being honest, he's not a great cover guy in the slot, and when I look at the landscape of other AFC contenders, the thought of him lining up versus players like Tyreek Hill and Jarvis Landry, Hollywood Brown, that gives me cause for concern. Not to mention we have zero depth behind him. That's why I really wanted Asante Samuel Jr. in the draft. Best case, he's the long-term CB2. Worst case, we kick him inside and upgrade our slot cornerback. What are your thoughts on the Bills slot cornerback depth, and do you have similar concerns? Are there any intriguing free agents that could fill that role or at least provide some solid depth that Wild Goose, Neal, and others don't? All right, so let's dig into this. First of all, I am not guilty when it comes to talking about slot corner as a starting position for the Bills defense. I, I get into that all the time. The Bills are a base 4-2-5 defense. Now, when it comes to Taron Johnson as the Bills starting slot corner, I think he's a good player. And my concern entering last year was injuries, right? He just had too many injuries and when he wasn't available, that was a problem because you can feel it on the defense. But I thought he was effective when he was on the field. And then at the start of last year, I was very down on Taron Johnson, and I thought he struggled. But when he came back after getting benched, I thought he played well. And so if he's healthy and not the player he was at the beginning of 2020, I'm very satisfied with Taron Johnson as the Bills' starting slot corner. And they put a lot on his plate. There's a lot of the coverage schemes that the Bills run that funnels a lot of the spacing to Taron Johnson. And they trust him to stay leveraged and make tackles. When it comes to zone coverage at cornerback, Taron Johnson's one of the very best zone slot corners in the NFL. If I'm not mistaken, in over 200 reps in zone coverage last year, he gave up the third fewest receptions from the slot among any slot corner in the NFL went in zone coverage last year. So I think he's a pretty good player, and I'm sort of concerned long-term there because his contract's up after this season. Now, when it comes to depth in the slot, I do have concern because Saran Neal has struggled there, and I don't think Rashad Wild Goose is really ready to play in that type of a role. Now, we also can't forget about Cam Lewis, who, when the Bills benched Johnson last year, Lewis was the Bills' starting slot cornerback. And so he's been around for a few years now, and we really shouldn't overlook him in this conversation. So the Bills have some options. 
I think Taron Johnson's a reasonably good starting slot corner in the NFL. Leslie Frazier, when he spoke about Johnson recently, really raved and talked about how well he was performing. And when talking about some of the younger corners, he said straight up, it's going to be hard to take away reps from Taron Johnson. So I think the team's pretty satisfied with him. If he were to go down, I would have some concerns. But let's not sleep on Cam Lewis as one of those options if something were to happen to Teron Johnson. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. It's Friday, but it's not the last episode that's coming your way this week. The Bills play tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time, against the Chicago Bears. And so after the game is over, I'm going to organize my thoughts, record the podcast, and publish it for you. So at some point on Saturday afternoon or early evening, whenever I get done, my reaction to that preseason game will be available to you. So make sure you don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Hope you have a great Friday, and I look forward to catching up with you after the game tomorrow.